Next Chapter Podcasts. Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Next Chapter Podcasts. Hey, welcome back to How I Got Greenlit. I'm Alex Collegian, along with my co-host Ryan Gibson, and this is part two of our interview with Rose Mead Hart, entertainment attorney to Frank Sinatra, New Kids on the Block, and many more. Last week, we got into her origin story and her greenlit moment, and this week we talked more about her influences, including the film War Games by John Badham, the 1981 thriller starring Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy. Thanks for joining us, and now part two of Rosemead Hart. Wow. What? We got something. He found the right code word to play the game. We're in. But it was the wrong computer. Shall we play a game? I could ask you that. How about mobile, thermal, nuclear, war? Sign. All right. War Games. Nice. That's a classic. We all grew up with it. And uh, a huge kind of uh, generational movie for the kids of the Cold War. Um, Very much put a face to my personal sort of like, that was my biggest anxiety when I was a kid was, those bastards are going to do it. You know, the kind of Ronald Reagan saber rattling that now we chuckle and go, he knew all along. But I fully believed I wouldn't make it to 20. Oh, yeah. And that was a big Gen X anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're all going to die. Some random dude is going to get mad and push a button. And that's it. And I think it definitely influenced pop culture at the time. Um, And obviously, the film was outgrowth of that. And of course, I've always just loved like a a techno thriller. So it was one of the first techno thrillers that I really attached to. Yeah. uh, Ryan, do you... Do you remember if you saw it in the theater or not? I, I, it was one of the first tapes I think I owned too. Yeah, I don't remember seeing it in the theater, but I distinctly remember seeing it on uh, VHS. VHS I remember renting it for, with the like hard VHS case. And uh, I, you know, same with Rose. I feel like it was the, you know, I think we all, anyone who grew up in that time period... Uh, which is different from now because the situation even today isn't that much different with the Ukraine. Like the threat of nuclear obliteration isn't quite the same, I think, 
I think we just lived with it. And that movie kind of uh, pushed that boundary and played on all of our fears of that happening. And today with what's happening in the Ukraine, it's kind of crazy that no one is like, ah, this is, they're just going to invade and there's not going to be like wholesale nuclear destruction, which is strange to me because the players are the same and the weapons are the same. So I guess we're just all keeping it conventional on the DL. Well, we'll see if they can bait the U.S. into it or if they're just going to, you know, do the same thing they've done for centuries and try to obliterate the Ukrainians. And full yeah. disclosure, I'm half Ukrainian. Oh, yeah. wow. So you're following this closely, I guess. No, I'm ignoring it because the Russians <laughs> have been coming for us since the beginning of time. And guess what? We're still here. So yeah. no news is, uh, is happening here. It's the same thing. It's so goddamn and, and they telegraphed it with Crimea, right? So, yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh, they let us get away with that. The Sudetenland, let's go. I, I so want to get in, Rose, ask you if you think, because I, I keep watching the news and it, it's, and I try not to because it's ridiculous because I feel like almost the, the news, like they want there to be a war so they have something to report on. Yeah. Actually, I read more than one person say like, this is grotesque to the power of 12. You clearly want like your new CNN desert storm footage and all that, so... That's definitely an issue, but um, who knows when this airs? So I just want to send yeah, a shout let's... out to our Russian overlords and thank them for sponsoring the show. Don't um, underestimate Ukraine. <laughs> we are here. So, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about a, a fun escapist summer popcorn movie about war. nuclear configuration. Okay. It managed to make it fun. <laughs> It, it was a thriller. Spoiler alert, we're still here. thrilling <laughs> to me. I think that I would identify with David, I believe is the character's name. I was kind of a computer nerd type dude. And as Rose, we talked about before, like uh, Ali Sheedy was, uh, you know, that was her finest hour. While being a very proactive heroine she still had some aspects of the sidekick um quality but i did like that she was more of a jock and more kind of like assertive of, than him at, at key times so she was a pretty good heroine for the era would you agree or disagree? for that time yes i would have liked her to be a little bit more yeah. um I don't know, proactive or smarter, but it seems like ultimately you find out she's sort of playing dumb girl, which by the way, is still a very effective technique. Um, and she does, and she is sort of the voice of reason at some time, right? Which is also plays into gender, bar gender bias tropes, right? Which is like, guys get to do whatever they feel and women have to be practical. Oh, okay. But I still like yeah, I, But you know, when I watch it, when when I watch it, I do feel like uh, she is carrying Matthew Broderick across the finish line time and time again, except for his being able to technically yeah. get out of some things like use a phone without a quarter. I do believe Ali Sheedy is like, she's the one that's like, <laughs> come on, you puss. Oh, very much so. I'm yeah. saying like, I know, I know Rose, what you are saying, and it's good to see. In fact, it's almost flipped now. It's like you watch a movie and you know like, oh, she's going to be the badass. He looks like he'll be the badass, but he'll fail and she'll be the strong one and so on. And But back then it was nice that they gave her a, like, like Ryan said, I always felt like, oh, wow, she's not the usual, save me, I'm tied to the train tracks. Like he was kind of tied to the train tracks. I, I, when he wasn't at the keyboard, I felt like she was... 
she was had primacy, you know, everywhere. But in, uh, when they plugged the phone into the, uh, the 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 little suction cup mechanism that was a modem of the time, um, also and I had one aspect. of those. Well, they brought it home from school, Did but you? that thing was so cool. Yeah, you're really into computers, huh? Yeah. What are you doing? Dialing into the school's computer. They change the password every couple of weeks, but I know where they write it down. Yeah. I don't think that I deserved an F. Do you? You can't do that. Already done. Do you have a middle initial? K, Catherine. These are my grades. How can anybody get a D in home ec? That's none of your business. Can you erase this, please? No, it's too late. What are you doing? I'm changing your biology grade. No, I don't want you to do that. You're going to get me in trouble. No, nobody can find out. There, you just got to see. Now you don't have to go to summer school. Change it back. Why? They can't possibly... I said change it back. Okay, okay. I love that they had the the pizza-sized floppy disk drive. Yep. Like... Well, now it's like a, a historical piece, right? Because you have all this ancient technology. But that stuff was really happening at that time. And nobody was really talking about game theory. So that was kind of cool to have these big nerdy concepts in, in pop culture. And that was, I think, one of the first times I really remember that happening, that you have these, these very niche ideas happening in a mainstream film. Uh, so this was John Batham, who uh, this is a great lesser known. He has he owned the seventies and eighties. I don't know what he's doing these days, but uh, this was one of his many sort of um, genre classics, like uh, Blue Thunder. Ryan, you remember Blue Thunder? Yeah, Blue Thunder. He also Saturday did. Uh, uh, he did Short Circuit, I think, sure, which yeah. everyone remembers. And uh, incredibly I, my, racist. My favorite favorite Emilio Estevez vehicle, I think, was Stakeout. Didn't oh, he do Stakeout? Yes, I'd he did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought you were going to say the one where he was the trash man with his brother, but I think he, I think Emilio directed that one. Oh God, that's I. I have to say that's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> That's a good movie. <laughs> well, somebody was trying to figure out like when buddy cop movies. In a way, this is kind of like a buddy cop movie because it's a mystery. And what Sheedy, Sheedy, Sheedy. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And yeah. they're kind of an unlikely pair, but then something brings them together, and then there's slowly like a relationship builds. It's very much like they're solving a mystery for us. And yeah, I, I agree that Ali is definitely the. Um, audience surrogate because the uh, Broderick character is so far down the rabbit hole of computer-ish behavior and the, the parents are sort of portrayed as lovably clueless and all that. But um, I, I, I want to say, so, so Rose was talking earlier about how the 
you know, Sheedy was still like the, there was still some tropes put on her. But I do want to say one thing about the movie. There is a part where I do believe Matthew Broderick is undressing and Sheedy tries to catch a peek of what he looks like. And Broderick like shuns her for, for trying to check out his manly body. And I think that's like he, they use that scene to show that he's really the innocent one. Like she's more worldly. Absolutely. Yeah. She was more social. She was brave enough to go to this boy's house. I mean, I know Rose yeah, probably wasn't aggressive. enough for what you wanted, but like for, I just remember thinking she, she treated him like badass. a piece of meat. Yeah. Like frankly. he was sort of the feminine of the I, group. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. What more do you want, that Rose? That was the turning point, right? Where girls are not just to look at. Girls play sports. Girls are interested in dudes, right? Some of them. Um, and I think that it was a much more realistic character in that way. And it was kind of a first, right? Because usually, like, it's girl sidekick. She's just going to be like, oh, what do you mean, digital, right? And she's going to be stupid and asking questions. They use that to further, you know, the the film, right? She asks questions. He answers them to explain the technology to the audience. But I overall, I think it was a move forward for women, uh, for especially for young women. Agreed, the rest agreed. of those Brat Pack movies, right? I right, mean, she, yeah. It- she's no Molly Ringwald. No, no, and I and I, but I think you have to appreciate the fact that she, um, she was a she was breaking. Ba- I know it sounds terrible because we're talking. I mean, she wasn't really breaking barriers when we talk about today. She got but almost she, as much screen time as the white guy. She did. I mean, <laughs> she was the one that was pushing the narrative. She came over in her yoga outfit, or in, in you know, and she had her, 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 no, her jogging that clothes. That was not yoga era. Yeah, it was very much jogging clothes. Oh, but it like, was jazzercise. It could have been same same equipment. But it, but same again, equipment. No, that that was that era. So she was definitely like a cutting edge young woman. You know, maybe she was on track team. I don't know, but even that would be great because, again, it's like the jock and the nerd girl. Like the only thing lacking for his character was the glasses that she would take off and be like, you're kind of cute, you know? <laughs> but I, you think of other movies of that era and like, um, like I was watching Point Break and like there's an interesting, she was not an, I mean, she was an active girl and that she was a surfer and this and that, but talk about just like window dressing or just like a prop, you know? Um, Ali Sheedy is there leading the charge. Like she's literally running faster than him, pulling him to go into Crystal Palace or jump on the Jeep with the generals or whatever. Like she's all over it. I, I never, when, uh, when he's having his monologue about never learning to swim and now it's all going to be over tomorrow. And she's like, shut up, puss. <laughs> like you can, it's actually acted out that way. She's like, I can't believe you're having this monologue and the nuclear rain is coming and we're not doing something about it. I, 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 that moment actually happens in the movie. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just, I think she's a better, I, I think you guys are right. She She is an active participant in the story and they cut to her even when they're inside uh, NORAD, they cut to her and her reactions. She's not cut out of the movie at any point in time. And I, I think that has to be, you know, the, that was obviously something that I'm not sure the studio was asking for, but something that probably uh, the director pushed for. Yeah, as her to be a part of the storyline. great line. actor. I mean, I... 
she's it's God, a shame how many great movie where, was she in yeah i mean she had a run she definitely had a run i don't know what's going on with her these i think days, she took but, herself i think she took yeah. herself out of I, I can't remember who she married but i i think like uh phoebe cates she just kind of took herself out phoebe cates wow, wow. there's, there's a throwback blast huh? from the past yeah well i mean this is the same era right yeah definitely yeah, totally. and there, and that movie certainly Fast Times was uh, pretty racy. For she was she was sort of the protagonist, uh, or she was like the yeah the, that that was another groundbreaking movie. Like, hey, it's about real girls and they get pregnant and they they don't want the baby, and that was a heavy movie. But this one was definitely more fantastical, uh, even comedic at times, which. I guess was probably a good balance. If you read the the one liner on this, you'd be like, "Oof, this is a downer." You know, like this would have been uh, Robert. Like, t- if it was made ten years before, it would have been like Robert Redford and like kind of a Three Days of the Condor sort of Sidney Pollock vehicle. But <laughs> Batum really made it more of a a popcorn movie. I mean, who would believe that you could actually make a yeah a a, a, a annihilation concept like fun but it was good i don't know what you think you could do here steven john good to see you you see the wife still picks your time what has this kid been telling you how far has it gone the president's about ready to order a counter-strike that's what we're recommending you do it's a bluff john call it off no it's not a bluff it's real Hello, General Barringer, Stephen Falcon. Mr. Falcon, you picked a hell of a day for a visit. Uh, uh, General, what you see on these screens up here is a fantasy, a computer-enhanced hallucination. Those blips are not real missiles, they're phantoms. Jack, there's nothing to indicate a simulation at all. Everything's working perfectly. But does it make any sense? Does what make any sense? That. Look, I don't have time for a conversation right now. General, are you prepared to destroy the enemy? You bet you. Do you think they know that? I believe we've made that clear enough. Then don't. Tell the president to write out the attack. Sir, they need a decision. General, do you really believe that the enemy would attack without provocation, using so many missiles, bombers, and subs, so that we would have no choice but to totally annihilate them? One minute and 30 seconds to impact. General, you are listening to a machine. Do the world a favor and don't act like one. The way they visualized that, when they saw the actual control room, they're like, this won't do. This is not cinematic at all. It was, you know, late 70s technology. It looked like, you know, the engine room of like a a freighter or something. You know, it, it had screens and stuff, but it wasn't nearly as sexy. And so... What when they designed this thing, which was pretty state of the, I think it was the biggest set up to that point uh, made. Um, when they saw that, it uh, inspired the actual Air Force to create a new uh, headquarters that looked like the movie. And it gets weirder when Reagan was in office when this movie came out, and obviously he's got his Hollywood. Um, background and so he would have screenings every week so they got this movie i think like before it came out or something and he was like 
pulling aside the generals in the screening, like, well, this could never happen, right, boys? And they're like, well, uh, actually, um, it's pretty, yeah, it's fairly accurate when you when you look deep into it. And he was like, uh, the, we got to change stuff. So, like, for a movie that was really just programming next to, like, I don't know, Gremlins and E.T. and, like, other sort of escapist fare, like, it ended up having a lot of real-world impact more than, like, quote-unquote serious movies, like, of the time, like a Silkwood or something, right? But, um... Well, I think what I, I liked about it, I think. Like, because yeah. it, it... And also, they were young, right? Like, they were relatable. And they had this... Yes. It was, like, the beginning, you know, um, the millennials think they invented everything. But truthfully, when you saw a couple of teenagers disrupt the government and potentially stop a war, right? Which, to be fair, they started. Um, it was it was really empowering. Like, oh, the you can change things if you if you try hard and you're clever and you just keep pushing. So I think it, it was that sort of optimistic thing for young people as well. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think they were both seen characters that were seen by the audience, especially if you were a teenager at the time of like, Oh, I, I, I can do this. Like these are things that I can do. And uh, yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. So the other the other thing is uh, I had to look up the the log line since you mentioned it. So the log line I found online says a young man finds a backdoor into a military central computer in which reality is confused with game playing, possibly starting World War Three. That's kind of interesting. You, know, yeah. you also mentioned um, you mentioned Robert Redford that it would have been darker, like a, a dark Robert Redford vehicle. Interestingly, another movie that I love that was a techno thriller, and it's not a great movie. But I really liked sneakers, and that was yeah, Robert Redford. Say, oh no! I was I say, love if you say sneakers, sneakers I'm going <laughs> to fall off my thing. Ryan, do you hate it? it? Is, no, it love. is. It is one of my favorite. It's in my top five. Absolutely, one of my favorite movies. I really the, like one, it. The, the cast is incredible. Oh my god! The, the we, we better be careful. The cast is incredible. The, the the Ben Kingsley plays the bad guy, doesn't he? Yep, Sydney ben Kingsley the bad guy. Oh, River Poitiers such a in it. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great Sydney is in a computer hacker movie. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. fantastic. It's so good. It shouldn't guy, work. Because that was really amazing. Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, Strathairn. Um, David Strathairn. Great character. Yes. Actor, still around to this day. Amazing. Yeah. Plays a lot of lawyers uh, now, I think. He does. He, He's a lawyer guy. He was just in Nightmare Alley, if anybody saw the Oscar movie. Oh, yeah. Um, he plays the old he plays magician. the old magician. And he's still got it. Yeah, fant- that movie is in that movie is in my top five. And the strange thing about that movie is it is hard to find. It's not streamed very often. Uh, I actually owned the VHS of that movie. Is that possible? Uh, I owned it. I owned it on some format because it it was. Uh, it's one of my favorites. It's definitely the whole putting together when he was in the trunk of the car with the sound. Look, we could yeah, go the cocktail the, party. I, oh. Yeah. yeah, I literally could spend five hours on that movie. It's fantastic. I love and that one too. But I, and I would I put say him in the, the same, same genre, techno thriller. Oh, that? yeah, no, definitely. Excellent connection. Excellent. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a dark thriller. And, and unlike, guy, unlikely heroes too, right? And and sneakers have a bigger team, right? Beyond just two people. But I kind of like that part where you have like these unlikely heroes put all together make a great team. It was almost like the Sting. It was like. Yeah. A, a lovable bunch, like up against the odds. But what was amazing about that, and we don't want to go too far away from war games, but the, too much information, 
too much information. Yeah. I mean, he, he saw it like, the, oh, I have a secret box. And it's like that box would still be the ultimate MacGuffin today, right? The code breaker, the super... Du- I mean, there's been a million movies since then where it's the code breaker machine or whatever, right? So... Uh, yeah, for 1992, that film was really on the cutting edge. I have, to, I have to support Ryan's pick on that. I think it was a great film. And 92. So uh, yeah, it was on VHS. Uh, I, I can't believe it's been that long ago. I will also say this, the too much information thing, it's kind of funny that now, and this was before that time, but maybe we suffer that from that from society nowadays because anybody can get anything at any time they want on their phone yeah. and it's just too much information everywhere and it and was 30 can, years it, ago that film is 30, 30 years, years old yeah amazing yeah and it shouldn't work there's no reason that that movie should work and it did like Red was, redford's never well. been funnier effortlessly funny i mean it, it did well you think it was kind mm-hmm. of a bomb I don't know, man. Uh, it's I definitely it fondly. A lot of it, it, you know, you guys are movie heads, but I would think general people don't know what that movie is. Average well, guy off the street. It's no hackers, which would be an example of how not to do a techno thriller. Uh, yeah, sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll see hackers on like because it'll play more often, and I'll be like, oh god, yes, hackers. It's, I love, and then I'll go, no. No, I was right because you want it to be good, and then you watch it, and you're like, it's like that's like if you think about what a techno thriller can do right and wrong, it's that don't try to be cool, just try to be factual and say to a general audience, like, you're not aware of this, you know, Mr. and Mrs. America, but this thing exists and it controls your world, and you better be terrified. And here you go, you know. But like hackers was like, we're hackers and we got crazy hair and we jump around and oh yeah, we also like type some stuff. But you know, like the Matrix got away with it because they were actually, if you did screenshots of the, of their um, actual hacking, like they're, yeah, they're hacking. Like yeah. they're really breaking a code of like, how do I break into a power grid or a you know, utility or something? It's very boring. It's very like tech intensive and it's incredibly not sexy, right? But I think that's what, you know, the David character brings is like, I knew that guy. He dressed like that guy. He acted like that guy. He was smart. Um, He he was not, I mean, he was kind of shy, but he was also like the class clown. I mean, when he like heckled the, the teacher, it was sort of that interesting dichotomy of like, you would think that a guy like David would get all A's and never raise his hand and just be super quiet and bookish. Mm -hmm. But he was sort of kind of a smart ass, you know? Um, Which again, nuance and brought something to that role. And, you know, a credit to Broderick. I mean, I think he was Ferris Bueller like three years later or less. Yeah. And you go from the dorkiest guy in school to the coolest guy in school. And I, I bought both. Yeah, but both owning computers. I was going to say, to me, it's the same character, but okay. Yeah, it, it, I would agree. I, I think, you think? I, yeah. I, yeah, I think it, it's just positioning. Like, he's irreverent. He's he's a little bit whimsical. He's a little bit awkward. I don't know. I kind of I kind of see that as like the natural growth of David becoming um, Roderick, becoming the the next. So guy. you're saying. You're the saying fresh, the three years later, year, freshman to senior year. <laughs> yeah. Three years later, the worst kid not is... knowing himself. 
Yeah. He's awkward. And then by his senior year, he's running the school, you know, changing yeah. people's grades. So and- you wouldn't equate him to the, uh, the other boy, the, the kid with the car and the rich parents and all that. He would not be the David of Ferris Bueller. He would be the whatever the the dog or the the dad that um spread uh butter on his um corn on the cob by buttering a big piece of bread and rubbing yeah. it on the, that no, that's that that the oddest insane. cutaway of all time and that yeah, guy right. always played the dad or or like the middle manager at the car dealership right <laughs> yes Great. is that does that happen in the film don't the remember bread, that bread with the butter you yeah, don't it was that? just. I think it was a like a tip to like they're so conservative, like they wouldn't like. It was the waste one. Is yeah. that what you thought it was? It was kind of like he's such a stick in the ass. He won't touch. He won't like get his hands. Yeah, he doesn't want the corn on the butter because it's going to make a mark. I thought it was that they're so um, American or rich that like they can waste butter like like this. You know, it was kind of like a. Like they wanted the Russians to smuggle this movie into Russia and be like, look at the refrigerator. Come in. Look at the butter. He just throws it. I killed I killed your uncle for that much butter last year. No, like, I thought he was just being uptight. I thought he was like... Just like know, being a stick in the ass. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't like, want to ew, ruin the butter. Because you know, yeah. if, if you roll corn on butter, it has a little... little I uh, agree. Oil, yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. It changes the makeup. The it's taste, so, the taste it was not a, It was not a sexual thing. It was not some sort of like... Metaphor, a metaphor for wealth. Interesting. It was just well, yeah, it was a metaphor for wealth, like because you know guns and butter, right? I mean, I think he know. was going to eat that bread. He didn't throw it over his shoulder after. <laughs> I felt like he did, though. I think he gave the bread to the dog. Remember, there wow. was the camera, the camera pans up, and there's just slices of old bread stuck to the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> that is on the cutting room every, floor. Every meal, every meal. <laughs> But there's something about 80s movies and the kitchen, right? Because that same kitchen makes me think of the kitchen in Terminator 2, where it's like, yeah, honey, come on home. It's like, your parents are dead. You remember? There's a a kitchen in Gremlins. There's a kitchen in And it's always the same, like, wood paneling and maybe like an orange tone with like green. Uh, counters and stuff. It's just, it, 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 it was a character of that time. But it really, I, it, yeah, I mean, it, for being such a fantastical thing, I think part of the reason it worked is because that they captured a pretty accurate portrait of this is what a kid is really like, not necessarily movie stereotypes. This is, I mean, it was kind of jokey, but how clueless the parents were versus what the kids knew about technology. That was very accurate for that time and continues I find that to be, to be now. true. Like I, it's I, sort it's of, absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, it makes you think like, were they like, look at that trebuchet, man. That's, that ain't, your mama's like catapult. Like, has it always been like that? Or is this just like a 20th, 21st century phenomenon where kids, what, just embrace the new and, and parents are like, I don't know about that TikTok or whatever the equivalent was in the past. I mean, no, I, I think it's been true for a while. I, I don't know if it goes all the way back to the trebuchet, but I, I do believe there's just younger folks have the brain wired to assimilate that stuff. And by I, curiosity. And also, I think parents are just so trying not to fall asleep during the day from being sleep deprived that it you just don't have the extra brain power. <laughs> the, the, to... the parents of teenagers, really? 
I think they're worried about their retirement or whatever. I think they just didn't, they didn't, it's like the difference between the way the millennials were raised and the way, way Generation X was raised, right? Like the parents were like, ah, they're not on fire. They seem to have gone to school, oh, whatever. Exactly, exactly. They're they out on yell, their bikes all day. I, well, I was just, uh, does anyone remember this? It's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Oh, absolutely. 100%. And did you know there was somebody recently tweeted, did you know there was a phone number that you could call and they would tell you what time it was? It still exists. It still exists. <laughs> it, no, it I, I wanted to write, and it. also the temperature in some places. Yeah. Usually sponsored by the local bank. Yeah. But, but this is such a time capsule too, because I want to go back and actually uh, rewatch the whole thing again now that we talked about it. But, you know, it opens and he's playing oh, Galaga, right? Which we I did. Like, 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 so it, was, it really was. Like, it was a slice of life. Yeah, and that made the more fantastical, like, third act of where is this place under some mountain? You like, it, it. It seemed like sci-fi. And they were saying, like, no, this is a real place. This really goes on. Yeah. You know? It's yes. kind of like, it has the Star Wars-like structure, right? Like, boy from, like, nowhere, something crazy happens, gets sucked into an adventure, and then ends up in this bizarre like world that he didn't know existed, you know? I yeah, guess you it's, it's hero's journey, right? He yeah, makes things yeah. worse before he makes them better. He makes things worse before he makes them better. I like it. I, I just think it's super fun. And I think, uh, I think it holds up surprisingly well. So I'm going to rewatch it after we it get does. on the call. It's a great movie. It's a great so, movie. One could argue it saved the world. <laughs> I think it gives you it gives you hope that you too can save the world. Yeah, one single person and and pushed pushed along hard long and hard enough by his possible girlfriend can save the world. Are they, are they still together? Would that would those characters have remained together through this like incredible experience, or would they would have gone to different colleges and like tried stuff? See in the summertime. Yeah, I think he goes to MIT and she goes to like wherever and is like captain of a sports team. Well, I hate to say this, guys. If we play it out and he is Ferris Bueller, he finds another girl and we never see Sheedy. We don't see Sheedy again. So sadly. Cutie school dropout. <laughs> I don't think Sheedy's going to have any trouble finding a replacement. And by another the way, we 80s should... high school reference though. And the other yeah. thing is they look like they're in high school, right? Right, that... for change. Like up till that point, you had the grease joke, which was like they're thirty. How old? Where's where's where's? <laughs> um, and so they, I felt like they looked like high school seniors. Like she definitely did, and I, they they vibed correctly. I thought, which was exceptional for that time. Most sitcoms and films, it was like clearly a you know pituitary challenge twenty five year old that was like you know, waddling onto stage. Yeah, I think that was true a lot of the times. But I, I think she was close to like 20, but at least they looked, you know, they looked like they, they could be in high school and they played it well, right? Like they were awkward. The way yeah, high school was, people were. I think he was 20. I think he was 21. Uh, I bought uh, it. She, I bought Sheedy it. Was in her, I think Sheedy was 20 or 21. And yet she got in the Brat Pack, right? Because of uh, Breakfast Club, but he never did. Like Ferris Bueller and all those were never part of like the cool kid, like... Because I've been listening to Rob Lowe's podcast and it's great because he'll have his old cohorts, cohorts from that era and like him and Andrew McCarthy like trading war stories about St. Elmo's Fire is just about 
like near ground zero of Gen X bullshit that you could ever imagine, but it's kind of hilarious, you know? Well, you guys will have to dig into that, but wouldn't that have been about the director, right? Because weren't most of the Brat Pack movies all coming from the same creative team? No, it was not. It was about the talent because it was like outsiders introduced that whole class to us, right? Like they sucked in everybody that had any talent and then like taps. That was like early 80s stuff. By the way, just real quick, did was did they we we would sh- they would show movies in like English class, like after we'd read the book, they'd show a movie sometimes. And was that did you did anybody watch uh, outsiders in like middle and Rumblefish. We watched both. Yeah, yeah. we watched both. Hinton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I I don't know if it holds up. I mean, you, you start to realize we that Essie Hinton was, was a child when she wrote it. It's not that was injected into our high school psyche. Like it was a part of high school or middle school. I can't remember when we watched it, but maybe ninth grade, eighth grade, ninth yeah, grade, eighth or ninth grade, and yeah. like everyone watched those guys perform. So. Not to mention like the success of Young Guns and all the stuff to come. Like we were, we bought into those people like at a very young age, almost systemically across like all of education was watching, <laughs> was watching that movie, you know? So well, because they finally it. had a contemporary version. I remember we used to have to watch the 50s version of like Old Man in the Sea or whatever. Oh, absolutely. You know what that's like, that's they, the reverse. It's finally like, oh, here's, it's in color, gang, you know? Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but I like, I thought uh, all that Brat Pack stuff was really John Hughes movies. No, that's the funny thing is like, it because Joel Schumacher uh, directed St. Almost Fire and like, I don't know. It was just, it was a funny time. I think it was just what your private like was more like. And I think Broderick kept his nose clean. Whereas like, you know, Rob Lowe was doing his thing and they, you know, they were kind of living life publicly. So Rob Lowe recently, I heard him tell a story about being on, because he, during the Lakers run in the eighties, he would fly on the team jet to games, uh, especially finals games. The amount of debauchery that Rob Lowe survived is absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. The fact that he came out of everything clean and alive is un, un it's unbelievable. Yeah, and he's but, you a know, very likable guy. Oh, he think. really is. And and the funny thing is, is he he actually represents the whole like kind of boomer arc because I think he was a little bit older than us, and he certainly vibes older now. He got really Republican and like moved to Santa Barbara, so it's the classic boomer arc of like. I am going to push it till the the brink of death. And then if I survive, I'm going to sober up and find Reagan. And that's what he did. Try to find a way to pay less taxes. Right. Exactly. These darn kids with their rock and roll. But, you know, just to segue back into the movie, um, the the character of um, Falcon. Oh, I loved him. The scientist. Yeah, I love him too. What's amazing to me about speaking about how obviously we're in a very tech heavy world and we were then too, but it was a little more solid state is, you know, Rose and I and Ryan to a lesser extent, we've all worked with tech people, quote unquote, you know, Silicon Valley, whatever. And they just, Falcon is like this, like, I wish that the, the, the level of morality that he displays in this film about the concern about his technology you just don't see that anymore. You don't see Zuckerberg just coming out and being like, yep, we made a mistake. Big change is coming. You yeah, know? I mean, it was a classic though. And this 
a lot of big technology, as I'm sure you guys know, comes with government contracts, right? And you see this dissolution quite a bit in terms of the tech guys, like, we can make something really cool. Oh, the government turned it into a weapon. Oh, shit. Uh, so I could, I, I thought that was very relatable that he just goes off and lives in the woods um, because, you know, the government is per- perverting your work, right? You're just trying well, to- Well, lives in the woods work. just close enough to the blast zone. That, that was the thing, my favorite part. <laughs> Well, and they find him, right? They, amazing they did anything without Google, right? <laughs> exactly. And that was the best is that the, that was really, um, I think hackers did it too. The, 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 the Cracker Jack toy, some of the classic stuff was like unscrewing the, the phone uh, at a pay phone and like using a piece of foil from gum and you could hijack it. And there was a whistle from a Cracker Jack box or like a, Maybe like a toy in a in in a breakfast cereal, and the tone of the of the whistle would trigger a free credit on the phone. Yeah, I mean it was just a weird. It was a funny era where so many things were just sort of like out there and Shaggy Dog. I feel like everything's like wired now, and you got to be some kind of you know Albanian hacker farm like doing shit. But like. The level of awareness, morality, ethics, um, it's, I don't know what we lost. I don't know if it's the iteration of iteration of iteration of generations under technology have just, or maybe the world that has become so cruel that now kids just have to be tough because they're just like, well, there's no, like, ah, you know, you always read like, there's no loyalty of this generation. They'll hop from job to job. And then their response is, right, because you created a world where you killed off all the, you know, pensioners and anybody who had a 20-year thing. There is no loyalty from the employer side. So why should we display loyalty from the employee side, right? So, but whoever's fault it is, I feel like people that have mastered technology today it's much more about getting paid than like, oh, we, we need to serve the world and stuff. Although, the, did you guys see that documentary, um, the social uh, network documentary? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Scared the whiz out of me. I, I, I do want I didn't see that. I do want to just go back for, for one second. I, I agree with everything that you said, Alex. Um, about this generation, but there was a story floating around last week that kind of pertains to this where a young hacker was so upset about the fact that, you know, um, North Korea keeps doing, keeps hacking things and keeps doing things and the government kind of try, you know, is like, I don't know how they're doing this and blah, blah, blah. And so he himself went in and shut down the entire North Korean uh, internet and web service and, and basically shut down all of their ability to be online. And he did it by himself. And I think it took him like 15 minutes or something like that. And, uh, it was just, just really, it it didn't get much play obviously in today's, you know, 24 hour news cycle, but I did read a really interesting article about how, uh, and he, he didn't expose himself, but someone got an interview with him and, uh, it was just really interesting. It was like, I was just sick of seeing this, uh, overlord push, you know, you know, push people around or or have people for ransom. So I think there are some people that are still out there who, you know, in the generation of not of of like, look, you guys, people worked thirty five years of their lives for you, and you gave them a gold watch and kicked them out the door. And 
like I, th- I do think there are some some folks few and far between who will who feel like fighting the good fight is the right thing to do. I'm sure the what also could yeah. be said is there are a bunch of young people who are holding hospitals for ransom for their pri- for their you know records. And yeah, I have to say I, I I disagree that the younger generation is not don't don't have activist hackers. I mean, we have anonymous, right? Like there are activist hackers, and it will always be younger people that are trying new things because they've never been told there's only one way to do it. This is how we do it, right? That's that's what squashes innovation. You need people who think differently and people have tons of time on their hand, right? Like a 14-year-old. So that, those are, I still think there are a ton of hackers and innovators in that in that group, regardless of what decade we're in. I think it's, you know, it, it, it's sort of a boomer thing to think that you stay in a, one job for a long time. Um, you go where the opportunity is, right? And I don't think... I think this generation is also more, well, when I say this generation, I mean the millennials and to some, to some degree, the next guys, but they're less willing to put up with crap. Yeah. We had, we were sort of under the thumb of the boomers and we had to sort of put up with a lot of crap. We didn't want to, but there was no gig economy. So we didn't have a ton of choice. I think that is, I think that is really rings true because the one thing I was thinking about is, is that we were almost not forced, but we were in the mold of the greatest generation and then the boomer generation that was like, no matter what shit you have to take, everyone has a boss. You just have to keep moving forward. This is what you have to do. And they've just systematically, generations past, have just seen people get beat up and beat up and beat up. And now they're like, maybe they've said, look, it could all, maybe they all think, and I don't know this, I'm just speculating, maybe they all think, look, this could all end tomorrow. Like, yeah, sure, Russia's invading Ukraine and it could be nuclear holocaust. So why stay in a job I hate? Why do the things that I don't want to do? Why not live the life that I want to lead? And screw y'all. And and maybe that's not a bad thing. Do you I have don't know. that macrame on your wall? I kind of love it. Good luck I kind of love it. I love the irreverence of it. And that's, you know, because that's really what drives uh, war games, right? It's the irreverence. Like in class, Broderick is like, whatever, I don't care. Yeah, yeah definitely authority, later. thumbing their nose at authority. But it's also like a wish fulfillment because like I said, I really, I mean, I truly had nightmares about nuclear war. Like I oh, thought yeah. it's definitely happening. These idiots are going to, because they were, you know, Reagan was... I think as old as Biden is now, he's in his seventies, you know, and it's like, these old men don't give a shit what happens. You know, they're going to do what they're going to do. And what about us? This is our world that we're inheriting. Blah, Guess blah, what? Blah. We're still there. No, yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. But, but for that moment in time, it, for this guy who is seemingly just not even like empowered enough at his school to get laid can get it's 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 wish fulfillment right it's like a, it's a power fantasy it's not necessarily about a superhero who can fly but he does have superpowers right oh yeah you know what i'm going to change my grades screw you you know big brother or the man or whatever and when he breaks into this the the larger installation he thinks he's stealing games from you know whoever at the time i'm trying to think of those old uh you know Zork or whoever was making, whoever, you know, Sierra. Epics. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, there was publishing way back then on floppy disk. Origin. Um, like advertising in Byte magazine with a Y. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, so it was It was definitely teenage wish fulfillment or, or power, you know, for the, the, the disempowered. And yeah, these old men and these generals and these warmongers uh, were bound and determined to kill us all. 
and he he got to change that you know uh that's pretty empowering right there and it, it while it is a techno thriller i feel like the only thing they changed was sort of the graphics in the war room like this wasn't star wars where it was like completely out of range it was actually pretty realistic but at the time i i remember people writing you know, Newsweek, like I, I would read Newsweek because it came to the house and, you know, there was editorials like, ah, oh, this is all fallacy. And then like, nope, turns out it's 90% accurate, you know? I think that's I War it. Games from 1983. Yeah, I think we should okay. watch it again. And then we'll we'll do this again. We'll just keep doing it. <laughs> War Games, War Games War Part games. 7. <laughs> Every four years, like the Olympics. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, Rose, Rose, thank you again. Yeah, thanks, Always Rose. a pleasure. Bye, guys. I'll talk Bye, to you Rose. Well, that was the end of part two of the Rosemead Heart interview. Thank you to Rose. Good lesson for all the filmmakers out there. We work in a creative and commerce business. We're not painters. We're not typists. We need a lot of personnel, a lot of equipment, and a lot of money. And in our world, that means a lot of lawyers. So having a good entertainment lawyer is just as important as having a good actor or a good script to make a good film. So thank you to Rose for enlightening us on how she does what she does. And thank you for bringing one of my favorite films, War Games, 1981, John Badham's classic. Please check it out. And for my co-host, Ryan Gibson, I am Alex Collegian, and we have been on How I Got Greenlit. Thanks for joining us. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Next Chapter Podcasts.